Is it possible for the spirit of a living person to temporarily leave the physical body and travel to another location miles away where it can be seen and physically interact with another person? This is Mark Lyon. Welcome to The Other Realm. Throughout my life, I have collected true accounts left to us by those who have inadvertently crossed the invisible threshold from our world into the realm of the supernatural and returned to tell the tale. These are their stories. P.H. Newnham described himself as an utter skeptic in the true sense of the word. Still, he felt compelled to record a strange experience which was reported in the groundbreaking volume Phantoms of the Living. In March 1854, Reverend Newnham wrote, I was up at Oxford keeping my last term in lodgings. I was subject to violent neuralgic headaches, which always culminated in sleep. One evening, about 8 p.m., I had an unusually violent one. When it became unendurable, about 9 p.m., I went into my bedroom and flung myself without dressing on the bed and soon fell asleep. I then had a singularly clear and vivid dream, all the incidents of which are still as clear to my memory as ever. I dreamed that I was stopping with the family of a lady who subsequently became my wife. All the younger ones had gone to bed, and I stopped chatting to the father and mother standing up by the fireplace. Presently I bade them good night, took my candle, and went off to bed. On arriving in the hall, I perceived that my fiancé had been detained downstairs and was only then near the top of the staircase. I rushed upstairs, overtook her on the top step, and passed my two arms round her waist under her arms from behind. Although I was carrying my candle in my left hand when I ran upstairs, this did not, in the dream, interfere with this gesture. On this I woke, and a clock in the house struck ten almost immediately afterwards. So strong was the impression of the dream that I wrote a detailed account of it the next morning to my fiancé. Crossing my letter, not in answer to it, I received a letter from the lady in question. Were you thinking about me, his fiancé had written, very specially last night, just about ten o'clock. For as I was going upstairs to bed, I distinctly heard your footsteps on the stairs and felt you put your arms round my waist. Mrs. Newnham corroborated her husband's memory of the event, writing, I remember distinctly the circumstance which my husband has described as corresponding with his dream. I was on my way to bed, as usual, about ten o'clock and on reaching the first landing, I heard distinctly the footsteps of the gentleman to whom I was engaged, quickly mounting the stairs after me, and then I as plainly felt him put his arms round my waist. 
So strong an impression did this make upon me that I wrote the very next morning to the gentleman, asking if he had been particularly thinking of me at ten o'clock the night before, and to my astonishment I received, at the time my letter would reach him, a letter from him describing his dream, in almost the same words that I had used in describing my impression of his presence. In the year 1891, an even more impressive account by a Mr. S. R. Wilmot of what was then referred to as a psychical excursion was published in the Proceedings of the Venerable Society for Psychical Research in London. On October 3, 1863, Mr. Wilmot wrote, I sailed from Liverpool for New York on the steamer City of Limerick of the Inman Line, Captain Jones commanding. On the evening of the second day out, soon after leaving Kinsale Head, a severe storm began which lasted for nine days. During this time, we saw neither sun nor stars nor any vessel. The bulwarks on the weather bow were carried away. One of the anchors broke loose from its lashings and did considerable damage before it could be secured, and several stout storm sails, though closely reefed, were carried away and the booms broken. Upon the night following the eighth day of the storm, the tempest moderated a little, and for the first time since leaving port, I enjoyed refreshing sleep. Toward morning, I dreamed that I saw my wife, whom I had left in the United States, come to the door of my stateroom, clad in her nightdress. At the door, she seemed to discover that I was not the only occupant of the room, hesitated a little, then advanced to my side, stooped down and kissed me, and after gently caressing me for a few moments, quietly withdrew. Upon waking, I was surprised to see my fellow passenger, whose berth was above mine, but not directly over it, owing to the fact that our room was at the stern of the vessel, leaning upon his elbow and looking fixedly at me. "'You're a pretty fellow,' he said at length, "'to have a lady come and visit you in this way.' I pressed him for an explanation, which he at first declined to give, but at length, related what he had seen while wide awake lying in his berth. It exactly corresponded with my dream. This gentleman's name was William J. Tate, and he had been my roommate in the passage out in the preceding July on the Cunard steamer Olympus, a native of England and son of a clergyman of the established church. He had for a number of years lived in Cleveland in the state of Ohio, where he held the position of librarian of the Associated Library. He was at the time perhaps fifty years of age, by no means in the habit of practical joking, but a sedate and very religious man whose testimony upon any subject could be taken unhesitatingly. The incident seemed so strange to me that I questioned him about it, and upon three separate occasions, the last one shortly before reaching port. 
Mr. Tate repeated to me the same account of what he had witnessed. The day after the landing, I went by rail to Watertown, Connecticut, where my children and wife had been for some time visiting her parents. Almost her first question when we were alone together was, Did you receive a visit from me a week ago Tuesday? A visit from you, said I. We were more than a thousand miles at sea. I know it, she replied, but it seemed to me that I visited you. It would be impossible, said I. Tell me what makes you think so. My wife then told me that on account of the severity of the weather and the reported loss of the Africa, which sailed for Boston on the same day that we left Liverpool for New York and had gone ashore at Cape Race, she had been extremely anxious about me. On the night previous, the same night when the storm had just begun to abate, she had lain awake for a long time thinking of me and about four o'clock in the morning it seemed to her that she went out to seek me. Crossing the wide and stormy sea, she came at length to a low black steamship whose side she went up, and then descending into the cabin, passed through it to the stem until she came to my stateroom. Tell me, said she, do they ever have staterooms like the one I saw, where the upper berth extends further back than the under one? A man was in the upper berth, looking right at me, and for a moment I was afraid to go in. But soon I went up to the side of your berth, bent down, and kissed you, and embraced you, and then went away. The description given by my wife of the steamship was correct in all particulars, though she had never seen it. I only spoke of my dream and Mr. Tate's experience to my sister, who was with me then, as I could not quite divest myself of the thought that Mr. Tate might have invented his part from witnessing something unusual in me while asleep. I did not mention these things to any but my sister till after reaching home and learning what I did from my wife. That astonished me. It almost took my breath away. Should you desire to rewrite this and have me sign my name in ink, I will willingly do so, and my wife will add hers to the correctness of her dream. Mr. Wilmot's sister backed up the validity of her brother's account with the following statement sent to the Society for Psychical Research. In regard to my brother's strange experience on our homeward voyage in the Limerick, I remember Mr. Tate asking me one morning when assisting me to the breakfast table, for the cyclone was raging fearfully, if I had been in last night to see my brother and my astonishment at the question, as he shared the same stateroom. At my no, why, he said he saw some woman in white who went up to my brother, who was too seasick to leave his berth for several days. I soon went in to see my brother, who told me that Mr. Tate had wondered at my coming in to see him, and I think he said he had dreamed of seeing his wife there but in the eminent danger that loomed over us, I did not fix my mind on thereafter conversations.
A frighteningly successful experiment in psychical excursion was carried out in 1855 by an amateur hypnotist named Jean Mao, who wished to see if he could project his spirit to one of his most sensitive hypnotic subjects. I chose for this purpose, he wrote, a young lady, a Miss Drazy, and stated that some day I intended to visit her wherever she might be, although the place might be unknown to me, and told her if anything particular should occur to note the time and when she called at my house again to state if anything had occurred. One day, about two months after, I had not seen her in the interval, I was by myself in my chemical factory, Redmond's Row, Mile End, London, all alone, and I determined to try the experiment, the lady being in Dalston about three miles off. I stood up, raised my hands, and willed to act upon the lady. I soon felt that I had expended energy. I immediately sat down in a chair and went to sleep. I then saw, in a dream, my friend coming down the kitchen stairs where I dreamt I was. She saw me and suddenly exclaimed, Oh, Mr. Mao, and fainted dead away. This I dreamt and then awoke. I thought very little about it, supposing I'd had an ordinary dream. But about three weeks after, she came to my house and related to my wife the singular occurrence of her seeing me sitting in the kitchen, where she then was, and that she fainted away and nearly dropped some dishes she had in her hands. All this I saw exactly in my dream, so that I described the kitchen furniture and where I sat as perfectly as if I had been there though I had never been in the house. I gave many details, and she said, It is just as if you had been there. After this, she made me promise that I would never do it again, as she would never feel happy with the idea of me appearing to her. The foregoing accounts pale, however, in comparison to that account published by Jessie Adelaide Middleton in her White Ghost Book. The following story, Miss Middleton recalled, was related to me by Mrs. Charles Mossop of Peterborough Road, Harrow on the Hill, who has kindly given me permission to use her name and address and vouches for its authenticity. The events related in it happened to a friend of hers, an officer of high rank in the army, and whose name is well known to me and to the public in general. Here is the story. A young cadet of nineteen, having completed his course at the Royal Military Academy and being appointed to the Royal Engineers, was spending a few days in London before joining. One night, he made up his mind to go to some place of amusement, and putting on his dress clothes, called a hansom, and drove to a music hall in the West End. During the evening, an elderly gentleman of extremely aristocratic appearance entered into conversation with him, and took considerable interest in his account of himself, and his hopes and ambitions. 
The boy frankly told the stranger that he wanted to see a little life before he went abroad, and the latter offered to be a cicerone for the night and introduce him to places to which he could not otherwise hope to be admitted. Delighted at the prospect, and fascinated by the older man's charm and conversation, the boy gratefully accepted the invitation, and they went off to supper at one of the best restaurants. After supper, at which the boy drank only lemon squash, they went on to several gambling dens and nightclubs, at some of which it was necessary to give a password, and everywhere the man was received and treated with the utmost deference. They did not actually join in any of the doings at the places they visited, but both, being particularly refined and fastidious, preferred to play the part of lookers-on. Towards three o'clock in the morning, the man asked the boy where he was staying, and hearing that it was in a direction that would not take him out of his way, suggested that they should walk together to St. James Square, where the speaker lived. It was a very fine night in summer, and the cool air after the hot, vitiated atmosphere of the nightclubs was deliciously fresh. The two walked together in the direction of St. James Square, and as they passed St. James Church, Piccadilly, the clock struck twelve, and the elder man stopped to wind his watch. They walked down a side street into St. James Square, and at the door of one of the large houses in the square, the stranger took out his latchkey and said good night, adding that he hoped the boy had had a pleasant evening. With profuse thanks for his kindness, the boy asked permission to call with his father the next day, saying he was sure his father would like to thank him in person. Permission was given, and cards exchanged. The man then entered the house, and the boy went home. The next day, he told his father what had happened, and they arranged to call at a house in St. James Square that afternoon. When they did so, the door was opened by a butler, who seemed much distressed. After some conversation, the butler told them that his master had died at 3.15 that morning and that he had been bedridden for four months previously, and unconscious for twelve hours before his death. The boy, being unable to believe the story, asked the butler to show him a photograph of his master, which he did, and the boy instantly recognized it. The owner of the house had been a man well known in society, and his funeral, a few days later, was attended by a large number of members of the fashionable world. This is Mark Lyon inviting you to join me on the first day of every month as we explore more true tales from the other realm. The Other Realm is a production of Wind Whistle Theatre. Our music was composed by Dan Heflin. Support for The Other Realm has been provided by HauntedIsles.com 
offering private and small group tours of haunted Britain and Ireland, and by Heftone Studios, producers of Phantoms of the Holbrook, a docudrama relating true events occurring at what well may be the most haunted hotel in the entire world, and Natalie, a modern retelling of the German legend of the Lorelei, and by Windwhistle Press, publishers of Jesse Adelaide Middleton's classic trilogy of true tales of the supernatural, The White Ghost Book, The Grey Ghost Book, and its sequel, Another Grey Ghost Book, and Lep Castle, The House of Horrors, by Mildred Darby, and San Francisco Ghosts, by Mark Lyon.